This is episode 169 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Welcome to episode 169 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today's episode was uh, an absolute pleasure to record. I had Quentin D'Souza on the show, and Quentin was on a long time ago before the first lockdown, and um, we talked a little bit about uh, some of the things happening in the market back then and what could affect Canadian real estate. Well, all this time later, um, we find out what Quentin's been up to. He's more than doubled his portfolio, nearly $100 million in assets. He's invested on both sides of the border. He's just a wealth of knowledge, and it was one of those episodes where we could have just gone on forever talking because uh, Quentin's a really interesting guy, and he's got a lot of stories to share. So this is one of those episodes where there is some understanding required. If you are new to real estate, this is not a good episode to start with. Um, Quentin talks a lot about funds, and we get into some details about the general partnership, limited partnership structure, which is uh, a legal entity that you can create when you're doing real estate and you're having partners involved. Uh, that's not something I'm going to dissect on this episode, and that's not something we did dissect, but we did dive into the weeds with this topic. So if you're not completely following with that, I highly suggest that you look up what those structures are. Um, but generally speaking, these are just ways that you can invest and in, in bring partners into deals. Um, so Quentin is, is a guy that's being sought out and he's partnering with people because of his expertise. People are reaching out to him in their deals and they want him involved. And uh, it was really cool to have his perspective and have him share his strategy and how he's working and still growing in Canada. He's buying off market deals and uh, and finding deals that really work from a cap rate perspective, from a financing perspective. Um, and he's getting a lot of partners into these deals, so he doesn't necessarily have to bring in his own money. So we covered that. We covered how Quentin balances his time and how he delegates to his team, which is uh, very critical, obviously, if you're going to get to the level that he's at. So with that said, a couple of tools you might want to familiarize yourself with. If you're not already familiar with my cash flow spreadsheet, I highly suggest that you grab a copy of it from my website at andrew-hines.com. That's a tool that you can use to learn more about cap rates, to more, learn more about debt coverage ratio and the basics of how to analyze cash flow on a property. This is just a tool. Obviously, make sure that you're doing your own due diligence and uh, nothing that you're going to find in that spreadsheet is going to be the complete answer for you. Uh, just before we jump into the episode, I'd really appreciate it if you just take a moment and rate and review the podcast so that more people can find it. If you uh, if you appreciate what I do or if what I do has added value to you, um, I'd greatly appreciate you sharing this podcast with somebody you think it could help. And uh, now without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into episode 169 with Quentin D'Souza. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I have on the show for the second time, Quentin D'Souza, and uh, I'm sure we're going to have an interesting conversation today. Quentin, thanks for doing this. Hey, no problem. Glad to be here. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, we were just uh, appreciating that you didn't have to drive all the way from, uh, where are you? You're in Oshawa? Well, Durham I'm region. In, uh, yeah, I'm in Whitby. Whitby, so, okay. Um, yeah, just, just uh, one, one, one town uh, west of Oshawa. <laughs> yeah. So if you, if you come here, you got to take the 407 the whole way and it's still like an hour and a half drive probably. Yeah, that's no fun. I just got done. Uh, yeah. Uh, I just got done a 24 hour drive over two days uh, back from Florida. So uh, <laughs> not so bad in comparison. No, definitely. Yeah. 24 hours is that that's, that's quite a, quite a trek. 
Although I will say it was like very peaceful because I got a newborn at home. So uh, the, the quiet of the ride was actually okay. My wife took a, took a flight back. So it was just me by myself with the dog. But uh, anyways, Quentin, last time you were on, we were talking about what could happen in a market, um, how things could change. Um, when we're going to get into that too, because right after you were on the first lockdown started and that was sort of that unexpected event and, you know, obviously many things happened and we'll recap, but, um, before we get into that, could you just recap for anyone new to the podcast or who hasn't heard your last episode, um, a little bit about you, how you got into real estate and what you do now? Sure. Actually, I've, I've doubled my portfolio size since the last episode, so it should be a, an interesting conversation. But um, I, I've been investing since uh, 2004. I, um, you know, I have uh, uh, quite a quite a few books too on Amazon. So I've got six books. I've published another two books. Uh, you know, what, what what do people do over lockdowns? I, I published two books, uh, uh, and uh, so it was kind of productive for me. I, um, you know, I run uh, the Durham Real Estate Investors Club, uh, and actually, we've, we've grown our membership, funny enough, by um, by a third over the, the lockdown too, because we went to a hybrid model and we had people from all across the country now that are members, which is kind of cool, very different. Um, yeah. You know, and uh, continue to buy assets. I'm very focused on buying. Uh, rental properties, apartment buildings. So I think the last time we talked, I think it was about 40 million in assets. And now I'm at 98 million in assets. And I've got a a, a $17 million asset closing at the end of June. So I've uh, I've grown quite a bit since that time. I continue to focus on acquiring uh, properties that have a, a good business plan to them where we're, our plan is to refinance them within three to five years, uh, repay our investors' initial capital, and uh, continue to own the assets. Yeah, and tell me a little bit about that, because obviously that's not a small number, um, almost $100 million. How are you structuring these acquisitions? Uh, is, is any of it your own money, a portion of it? Um, and then, you know, how does the structure work out with your investors? Well, so uh, what happens for me is that if I have money to place, so I often will do refinances and then I'll have money that I'll place in in deals, including the deals that I'm working on to take up more of an equity position. So like last month, we did Section 85 rollover on two properties and we refinanced the first stage of our business plan in a 12 unit in Oshawa. We bought for 1.75, reappraised three years later, 2.65, got a mortgage for 1.83, which allowed us to, to again, free up capital. And then that capital gets redeployed into the, the, the next projects. So then last two weeks ago, we closed on a 17 unit and a 24 unit. Um, I typically, uh, so the way that I I work my projects is I have uh, 50% of the asset and the other 50% is brought by um, partners, accredited investors who bring the uh, the capital to the deal. Uh, my goal in the first uh, phase of the business plan is uh, it's the same as a burr, but it's by reposition, refinance, and then rent. So the repositioning happens between year three and five. Like I, that good example is that 12 unit I just did last month, um, you know, where we uh, we refinance the property. The initial uh, payment goes to the investors so that they get paid back their capital. And then they usually redeploy it into 
to the projects that I have. And, um, and then uh, they continue to own that equity position in their, in their properties uh, and in our properties. So, uh, and then we just continue to rent it and then refinance it again. I've, I've refinanced the same property three times uh, is the most that I've done to a building and continued to pull out capital. So it's worked out uh, quite well. Yeah, I mean, I guess the biggest challenge is just going to be debt service when you're going for these refis now. Obviously, the equity's there, but property values are going up faster than rents or have been anyway. So um, that's obviously a part of the challenge. But I guess the time frame of your like you're doing this, you're refinancing every couple of years. Is that fair to say? Yeah, and and you got to remember too, we don't use you know this. It's not the comparative model when it comes to uh, apartment buildings. It's based on net operating income, right. and that debt, debt service ratio often is um, on rents that are depressed because we are in a, a rent controlled environment. So if you have a good business plan and you're able to tr- uh, turn over units, you can take advantage of the. Um, the lift that happens, particularly if you're, you know, um, as you're getting to the, to a refinance. Okay. And uh, I wanted to ask you about structuring your funds. So what are you doing uh, to structure, obviously accredited investors, that's an important piece. Um, If for anyone wondering, can you give them just a definition of what accredited would be? Yeah. So an accredited investor, somebody earns $200,000 a a year individually or $300,000 a year with a spouse. It's usually based on like a two year type of uh, timeline. Uh, The, um, uh, or they have a uh, million dollars in liquid assets or $5 million and liquid assets would not include your personal residence or uh, $5 million of net worth. And that may, that would also include your real estate assets in, in those, uh, in that 5 million. So that that's um, broadly speaking, you'd have to talk to people exactly what that looks like, because it doesn't always work out the way they think, especially if they have like a, a dental practice and it's separate from themselves. So there's a lot of things to, to talk about. It's better to reach out to, to um, somebody like me directly and have that conversation. Okay. Yeah, I gotcha. Okay. So, so that's part of it. Um, what you're looking for. And now when you actually go, go forward with these, these uh, investments, are you doing a general partnership? Like, do you form a limited partnership uh, where you're the general partner and then you have a bunch of limited partners come in? Is that your typical structure? No, we do a corporate structure usually. Yeah. So, uh, so the corporate structure would have a corporation that owns the asset with a joint venture agreement behind it, um, or some sort of agreement behind it, like a shareholder agreement, okay. and that would uh, define the roles and responsibilities as as well as the ownership structure mm-hmm. of the of the corporation. Um, it just makes things a, a lot easier, and it depends on the on the size of the acquisition too. Um, I I typically don't have more than like five people in uh, one particular partnership. Sometimes I may have like mm-hmm. a little bit more than that. I would never do more than 10, uh, but typically around like yeah. five. And then after 10, I would probably go to a GPLP type of structure um, just to it would make it a little bit easier. Um, but uh, uh, when I'm, when I'm looking at even like we did, um, seven apartment buildings last year and uh, like a portfolio. So it was like a $36 million uh, 
portfolio acquisition, but the, each property was titled separately. So we were able to do separate corporations on the different properties. Right. So it made it a lot easier from a, a structural point of view and also going through CMHC and getting everything done. Like it, it made it a lot uh, um, uh, simpler. I mean, it wasn't easy, but it made it simpler yeah. for sure. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of I's to dot T's across, like to have a corp for every single property. I mean, there are advantages, but of course, from an administration standpoint, it's a little bit more of a nightmare. Got to make sure you well, got really good help. Yeah. And I mean, the other option is to do that. Well, GPLP would be the same thing because you'd have to do a separate one for each. And then yeah. next one would be like a trust or a fund. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's the accounting piece that has to go with that and the structures. Yeah. There's a lot of, and there's a different mentality, I think, when it comes to funds versus individual like business projects. This topic just keeps coming up on this show lately. We just keep talking about funds, equity funds, and, Uh you know, kind of syndicating real estate in the different ways that it can be done, Um, which is, I think is a natural like graduation of of thought um, with the way things are going. And then of course, investors have been listening to this show for a long time, kind of wondering how to take it to that next level. And I think that is sort of a natural graduated graduated step um, that people will get to if they keep doing this long enough. So um, very interesting discussion and well-timed because I think in the last five episodes, this is probably three times we've talked about this. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, just randomly too. I didn't plan it that way. But um, so I understand you're also investing in Florida. I think that we spoke about that a bit last time. Uh, tell me about what you got going on there. Well, you know, funny enough, I've got, I just got like direct investments. I have four properties that I'm investing in Florida. I bought starting in 2018 and in 2019, I had all four and then they basically doubled in value since I've purchased them. Um, And then, you know, I just actually last month, I increased rent from like, uh, 1300 to 1700 on one of the units and everybody stayed. So that was great. Right. Uh, well, it was just one family, mm-hmm. but they stayed. And then I did the same thing, another 300. So it's, it, it's a very different process down there for sure. When yeah. it comes to that portfolio. Um, but I also have different other investments in the U S too. So I'm in different limited partnerships and um, I've been approached to be a key partner and uh, to be part of GPs down there uh, based on my experience uh, and my, you know, my knowledge. So that's, that's been very interesting. I've been making a lot of great connections there and, you know, I've been um, mm-hmm. involved in uh, on the limited partnership side uh, yeah. as well as the um, starting to get involved on the general partnership side. I, I just don't want to, there's a, there's a different kind of way to get involved in projects down there. So you could put in like 250, some projects. Now this isn't how you're really supposed to do it, but you could put in, let's say you're putting in $250,000 into one of their projects. You, they may give you some GP points in order to, to, to do that. And you could say you're part of the GP, uh, but it really doesn't mean much. Yeah. But why would you want to be part of part of the GP? Because I mean, then you're getting some of the liability, right? The the limited partners are, are shielded from the liability, or at least more so, right? You know what? The, there's like most loans in the U.S. are non-recourse, right? So it's a very different opportunity when it comes to debt, and they're really going after the building, not necessarily anybody else's assets, which is 
the opposite of what happens in Canada, right? Except for Alberta, most of our debt is all recourse debt. On Ontario, it's all recourse debt, and you're probably signing personal guarantees on, on most of the stuff. Unless you're going low CMHC, like 60% or 65%, maybe they won't ask for personal guarantees, but that's not normally the case in the U.S. In the U.S., it's mostly mm-hmm. non-recourse debt. And um, so that, that they may have like a bad boy carve-out, for um, you know someone who's the key partner who's guaranteeing the deal and mm-hmm. getting some points for that, but not necessarily the GPs. Like uh, you, you're, I think you're you're kind of thinking that everybody has the same liability. Yeah, um, and it's in, not, right. But it's not like that. You, no, gotta, you have to have a couple of people that will sign on, uh, or the majority uh, owners they'll want to sign on as liable or, or to guarantee the loan and the yeah. ownership structure. Yeah, so they, they're called key partners mm-hmm. in the U.S. And the key partners are usually like I can call, qualify as a key partner in the U.S. based on my my net worth. And that net worth allows you to be able to purchase a, pro, uh, a property mm-hmm. um, based on the size of your net worth. So, you know, going down the U.S., if I want to work with somebody, I can take up some of the GP as being a key partner. Now, I can't call like one of the qualifications is liquidity of U.S. dollars. So they're probably looking for like at least a million dollars in U.S. dollars liquidity Mm -hmm. into an account. That's not necessarily something that I could do in the U.S., but Mm -hmm. they'll still look at my my portfolio and my experience and allow that to qualify the project. So if I'm a key partner in, in a project in the U.S., I can qualify based on experience and net worth, but the liquidity mm-hmm. might have to be brought by somebody else in the, the GP. And, and and that's what it is. It's kind of looking at all the different, it's the same as in, in Canada, right? Like it's just, we, we tend to do it all together as one. And here there are not as many players because the pool is so much smaller, right? In, in, yeah. in, in, in Ontario, between 20 and hundred units, there's about 5,800 buildings in total. Okay. okay, that's not a lot. Like that's not 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 a lot. And in the U.S., that that's probably like not even a state, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Like, it's not even close. So, like, there's so much more opportunity, and um, and I think that's the difference. So you have more sophisticated structures, and also like you don't necessarily get away with 50-50 partnerships on buildings in the U.S. They're probably more like 70-30 or even like 80-20 or maybe 75-25 where the GP has a much smaller percentage. But in Canada, there's so so few people doing it this way at this mm-hmm. at the size that I'm working in. Yeah. That, uh, I don't, if you don't want my 50%, go find somebody else. <laughs> like, good luck. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm definitely like looking at, at US opportunities and, and seeing it's like if you do the GPLP thing, the general partner is more like assigned responsibilities and gets compensated for those responsibilities. Isn't necessarily an equity owner, but but has a benefit to being involved. Um, so that's the kind of structure I'm more familiar with. It sounds like you're you're talking about something a little bit different there uh, being a key partner or how, how does that work? I'm involved in about a dozen projects in the U.S. So okay. like, like I've been like, there are all types of structures that yeah. are down there and there's not like one right or wrong way, but I can tell yeah. you my returns have always been higher in Ontario, uh, even compared to the GPs where I look at their returns. Mm-hmm. There's no comparison in, in the numbers because of the size of the partnership splits, yeah. right? So when you have a GP in the U.S., you can break it down into different components so 
let's say um, in a GP, you may have like 10% that goes. So of that 30%, let's, we're, we're, we're thinking of a pie, right? Yeah. And then we, we've done it 70, 30. So 70% so, of that is going to the, uh, the investors the LPs, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now we're looking, we're talking about the 30%. Now of that 30%, 10% may go to the key partner. So the key partner could be uh, somebody who's qualifying based on their net worth. So that's 10%. Okay. Um, if you are somebody who has like a good track record or, um, you know, the GP wants to borrow your track record like myself. Okay. If I'm part of a project, I may take up 25% of that 30% because gotcha. you're getting my track record. And, and ultimately I'm yeah. I, like, I'm pa- passing along my name, but I'm also being responsible too, because I'm a very good steward of, of my investors money. So I, yeah. I'm, if I'm going to be on somebody's project, it's going to, it's going right. to go the way that I think it's going to go. And then yeah. within that, the last 75%, you, you break it up between the general partners You'll break it up between like if there's somebody who's raising equity and part of the the mm-hmm. GP structure, you and so yeah. like the actual thirty percent, like a, a major partner may mm-hmm. only get twenty percent of that thirty percent. Okay, right. So what does that work out to? Six percent. Yeah, six percent. Yeah. So we're versus well, it could 50%. Still be really awesome, depending on the, okay. the deal. It could, yeah, it could be, but of, yeah. a, of a twenty million dollar asset, now you're you're like, and this is the difference, right? So, so Quentin, why would these projects want you involved that way? So you wouldn't necessarily need to bring any money to the table. They'd want you involved for your track record. Yeah. Of course, you have that. That's credibility as far as the the mortgaging goes. Like the banks are going to want to see that. Is there any other reason that they would want you involved? Like the primary motive for them to ask you. Well, I, I'm a nice guy too. Come on, yeah. Andrew. <laughs> like, Obviously, capable. You can, okay. you can, you can add got, your insight. Of I course, got, I got all my hair still. Like, yeah, <laughs> I, I've been through a lot. I get, I yeah. provide a lot of background and experience, and I give people a lot of great tips. As we, I, I've coached tons of people, but I, yeah. I do it. Like I'm not a coach to be a coach. I was yeah. a teacher for 20 years, and. Like I, I still enjoy teaching people, but in the real estate space, I've been doing whole bunches of everything. So I've got yeah. lots of great experience that I can offer them. Um, repositioning buildings, you know, uh, being able to boost uh, ROI, like, and, mm-hmm. and they're just, sometimes they're just things that people don't think about. Like, so I'll give you an example. I had a conversation this morning with a, um, a gentleman in, in uh, Jacksonville and, and we're looking at a, 196 unit project. So one of the things that I had talked to him before about was when he is looking to provide like a preferred return to his investors in in the US, there's lots more flexibility when it comes to lending. Mm -hmm. So go with an interest only bridge project, a product that gives you like maybe a three year plus one, right? And that gives you the ability to pay interest only on that three year. Now you're losing the, um, the mortgage pay down, which is a powerful component, but you're actually pushing that back as a return to your investors up front. Yeah. So it allows you to have a higher preferred return and um, and overall boost the, the yeah. cash on cash without diminishing the ROI as long as your business plan provides it, right? And so yeah. I think that's something that like, in the you know, this is something that people just don't really, are, are not really aware of. Right, but, yeah. But, you know, we do it, in, in where we are, but sometimes we do it in second position in order to lower the amount of investment that's required or, um, mm-hmm. you know, in different ways in, in the way we do it. And it takes, 
it takes years of experience and also some mistakes to be able to figure that out. And, uh, and that's, you know, that's a lot of what I've been able to bring to the table when it comes to this. Awesome. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing. And I, I didn't mean to insinuate there wasn't a reason. I just no, wanted no. you to clarify. It's okay. It could yeah. be my hair too. So I, don't know. <laughs> I think it's the looks for sure. <laughs> um, so what kind of projects I've, you mentioned, there's a 192 unit building. Um, what States, what types of, of projects typically are you looking at? Well, I, I tend to like the lower, like the South, like Texas, I'm in Texas, I'm in Arizona, mm-hmm. I'm in Florida, uh, I'm in uh, the Carolinas as well, and those type of projects, and um, and it's all you know, multifamilies. Not, not always, but yeah, it's it's usually multifamilies. I'm also I also am uh, like a limited partner in an ATM uh, investment in the U.S., but that's more of a depreciation play to offset gains. It's a different. It's a totally different world in the U.S. as opposed to Canada because you, you first you have to structure yourself right to avoid mm-hmm. double taxation, right? Yeah. And, and then um, what, you, what you can do in the US is you can offset gains with losses through different investments and not bring back funds because you're offsetting all your gains before the, it gets to you as an individual who have to bring back your gains to Canada, right? Right, okay. So, that, so there's a lot of different ways to do it in the US. So I like that from a, a tax perspective, but I'm involved in different projects. But I mean, that, that's like, the, those are great, but they're a small portion of my portfolio. My ma- majority of my portfolio is in Canada, right? Okay. So, because that's a, like, the, there's quite a bit that we're doing here that's very exciting. And um, the U.S. is great. Um, and I think it's good. Like, the reason why I'm invested in the U.S. is, is because I want to hedge against the Canadian economy, right? Because I'm investing in U.S. dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, it also acts as a bit of a plan B because I have the I have um, different economy, different laws that I'm working with in the U.S. So that's kind of nice. And a lot of the places that we own are great places to visit the asset, right? Yeah. Especially for a week at a time to make sure that I, I, I do my due diligence and look around. And, it, and it's great to be able to write that off against, you know, the time that I spend there and fly down and, you know, um, make sure that everything's uh, as it should. So there, there are lots of benefits to, to that. And that's the reason to have that. Um, yeah. So, but it's not, I don't use it as my the, the way that I plan to pass on my net worth or, or my, uh, and as well as my day-to-day income, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's, it's not something that, that, um, that, that I am dependent on, but I, ha- I have some assets down there that I own directly. I have some LP stuff and I'm probably generating like maybe six to eight K a month in the U S but that's um, like after everything, but that's just a small part of what, what I'm doing. Like that's, mm-hmm. you know, compared to what I'm doing in, in right. Canada. Right. So we'll, like, my, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to cut you off. Continue. I can keep talking. So this is yeah. my problem. Okay, I was a teacher. I could, I yeah. could, I could fill 10 hours and we could talk yeah. and have a great time. But my, uh, my dad used to be like that. He, he, uh, he was a teacher and he would, he would uh, fill up an entire class. He'd cover 10 minutes of the actual like course material, <laughs> 60 minutes of stories. And, yeah, uh, and everyone loved them. Everyone loved yeah. them. Um, yeah. I, I taught for a little bit, but I, you know, I, I think that uh, that comes out in the, the podcast a bit too. 
but uh, yeah, so storytelling, I love it. So I don't mind you talking at all. So if you have more than you want to add in, go ahead. Well, I mean, the, the, the Canadian stuff is really what I, I have a passion for because it's such a hard thing to acquire and making the numbers work and carrying it out a business plan in the environment that we're in right now. You know, everybody's giving up and they're going to here and there and Costa Rica and wherever. And, uh, you know, for me, I, I that's fine. Like I, I, you know, we came to Canada uh, when I was three, my family came in the seventies. We lived in a basement. Like we had nothing when we came. Right. And we all got, we got started here. I appreciate the fact that we live in Canada and it's an amazing country and we have opportunities. And if you compare what you have here to another country, there's no, no comparison. So uh, I think sometimes people are in, in this like closed loop of, people who are thinking the same thing. And I think it's okay to have a plan B and understand that. But I also think mm -hmm. we live in a great country. And um, I think that we need to appreciate that more. And I'm okay with paying taxes. Uh, you know, it's not like it's not something that I'm afraid of doing, because I'm getting a great return on that. And, you know, funny enough, I had an investor who we exited a project last year. And this was like a single family. It was like a condo townhouse. We bought 2011. He put in 38K, okay? We just sold it in 2021, so 10 years, okay? Over the 10 years, we refinanced once and we also uh, did a little bit of like a, a, the cash flow from the asset. So he made about 17K himself, okay? So he, he pocketed 17K over the 10 years. Not amazing, but like still 17K. We exited the asset. He got paid in a, um, his 38K back plus an additional like $235,000. Mm -hmm. So that like when you look at that and you look at it from a, a like return perspective over 10 years, that's over 60% return, right? And you know what he says to me? He says, oh, wow, that's a lot of capital gains. <laughs> yeah. I was like, Buddy, man, you just went from like 38K to 235K. I get it. But yeah. like the, the like you've got to put things in perspective. This That's not a, an average thing to do. If it were, everybody would do it, but not everybody does it, right? No. So, uh, and I think that that's, sometimes we get lost in that as, as Canadians. We have a great, like we have good opportunities. We have to watch out though, that I think- yeah you know, that the government overreach doesn't happen because I think it's happening more and more and we have to fight back against it. We can't just mm -hmm. accept it and run away. We have to yeah. push back. That's all. And not, yeah. not accept it. Yeah. And I, I agree. I agree with a lot of what you said there. I mean, I think it is a lot of perspective and is, is the cup half full or half empty. Um, I, I think that you could find an opportunity within 500 meters of your house. And, and that still goes in Canada. It's just a matter of, to me, I look at where is the best use of my time. And sometimes I think it, it does make sense to look a little bit elsewhere. Some people are looking at Edmonton or some people look south of the border, like you said, Costa Rica, et cetera. Um, so that's more my mindset with it. You know, we just bought the, uh, the campground uh, Tobermory way and um, I still see opportunity here, but as far as kind of where my focus, I, I see a, a let's uh, let's call it more pushing the business downhill if you kind of invest in a market where there's already cash flow now doesn't mean that you can't make things work here and obviously you are doing it so on that note what do you uh, what are you most excited about in terms of your canadian projects right now you know what i i really like the lift that's possible i think that we underestimate what we've 
created here in, in Ontario. Uh, we've created um, a situation where it's tough for builders to build, takes a long time for them to build. Uh, so supply is not coming on anytime soon. It's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. I think it's because we have federal and provincial governments that aren't, um, you know, aren't, aren't in line with municipalities that have like nimbyism and bananaism mm-hmm. where like they don't want to build anything nowhere and nothing anywhere. Right. What's the, how um, does that acronym break out? Banana? <laughs> <laughs> build, I've heard this before. Build, oh, b- b- build anything nowhere and nothing anywhere. They're they're, <laughs> okay. they're like the NIMBYs, but worse, right? And yeah, they're okay. everywhere. They're in every. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you suggest to them; they don't want it. They don't want change, right? Yeah, and, and that's just not possible. Like in the type of mm-hmm. environment that we're in. So that's that's benefit for me. The other one is the cost of construction. I'm buying below the cost of construction. You cannot build buildings at the cost that I'm buying buildings that are existing at. Nobody yeah. seems to understand that. Yep. The other the other thing is that we've created this system with rent control that is it like it is it really pushes the burden of renting um, off of the old renters and onto new renters. So what happens is we've created this system where an old renter, because they have rent control, they're in a safe position because they've locked in the rents as far as they, they can, can, can see. Mm-hmm. But the new people coming on are like in, in a problem position. And, even, and if you furthered rent control, it would be even worse. Like there'd be no building going yeah. on. It, w- it would be even worse. So what, what, we, what we have now is like I, I so the, in a building that has uh, 11 units in it, I just paid $7,000 per tenant to leave. The three, three units are going to turn over. So some people might go to me, $7,000. That's ridiculous. I don't think I should do that. Good for you. Don't do it. Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> you don't know what yeah. you're doing is what I want to say. Because, um, you know, those tenants are moving from uh, seven, uh, on average, let's say about seven or $800 a month to close to, um, 1650. Okay. So let's say that's about $800 per unit Mm -hmm. and we've got, um, $800 per unit and we have three units. So that's $2,400 and we multiply that by 12, right? And then we divide it by the cap rate. So CMHC is going to use a cap rate of four there, but the um, the market cap is three. So I'm going to use CMHC. So I'm going to be conservative. So so we're going to divide that by um, 0.04. And that gives me a a value increase of what? 720,000. Yeah. So are you happy with paying 7,000 per unit? I love the way you you broke that down. And I completely agree. It's it's worth it. The thing is, you just don't want all the tenants knowing it's worth it because then the number keeps going up. But um, yeah, I've always thought about it that way too. Like just break it down at a four cap. If you're increasing uh, the income by 800 a month, that's 9,600 a year. Divide that by 0.04, that's 240,000 per unit. So every one you, t- you turn over, you're adding $240,000 in value for 7,000 or 8,000. Like that's... Yeah. that's uh those are good numbers to work with i mean it's just a game right you just got to play it, it. Is. yeah and i know how to play it i've written two books on property management in ontario i think i have a thing or two that i've i've learned over the years of, of being in and dealing mm-hmm. with the landlord tenant board it it, it it is a mess i agree but you know what then it's okay you can leave it's fine with me. <laughs> like yeah. i don't care i'm going to continue yeah. to do what i'm doing because i know what i'm doing 
And yeah. I, and I, I've been successful at it for a long time and, and, and I still enjoy it. Like I still like the art of the deal and, and putting things yeah. together and, um, you know, the, the repositioning a building and, and, and doing some like amazing things when it comes to that. I think that that works out well and it's not easy, but if it were easy, everybody would do it. Right. So. Yeah. That's a good tagline for this episode. <laughs> for easy, everyone would do it. You got your books on Audible yet? Uh, no, I'm too old school. I like I haven't figured out how to get somebody else to read it for me. But uh, I've got so I, I've I've done them all. They're on Amazon except for one, the Scaling Up Toolbox. I don't I, mm-hmm. I don't have that one anywhere on Amazon because I don't want to deal with certain government departments. But it's about yeah. uh, raising capital and um, and that sort of thing. Oh, okay, I hear you. If if somebody who's listening to the podcast wants to pick it up, they can go to jointventurebook.com. That's the only place in the world to pick it up. Okay. And, uh, but it is definitely not, not, not generally available. The rest of them are all available on Amazon. Okay. So yeah, just search your name and that's where people yeah. can, can but, find that. Audible. I haven't got, got around to putting any of them on Audible yet. I've been asked like a hundred million times. I just I yeah. just haven't, if somebody, if somebody has a great system for doing it, please reach mm-hmm. out to me. I'll be happy to talk to you about uh, getting it done uh, professionally on Amazon. Love to, or Audible, love to I feel like get some Upwork. Help. I feel like Upwork, you could probably find somebody to, to just read it and record the whole thing for you. I don't know what it would cost, but it'd probably be worth it. Uh, I'm sure you'd sell it back because yeah, you could charge more for the Audible version too. Oh yeah. Oh, that's cool. Well, I do use Upwork for a lot of the um, podcast stuff that I'm doing. Like the, like they'll do all my notes and they'll yeah. you know, do the editing and, and then chop it up into little pits and then you have podcasts now? media. Yes, I do. Like a hundred <laughs> other, other people it's get, get real well. Can't even keep track, keep track of all the podcasts anymore. Uh, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, I'm not, I'm not really good at it. Like you're a professional, like, like a speaker when it comes to like the podcast stuff, I'm just like a, like a, you know, a, a beginner. I, I, I think I've been doing it for about a year now and um, it's uh, it, I don't know where it's going, but oh, <laughs> that's awesome. I want to listen to it. That's uh, yeah. You're too kind to me. I, <laughs> I don't think people so much care about that. I think I get on good guests and, and um because I think we have that teaching background, we don't mind uh, talking, talking stories, going back and forth, you know, not going off a script. I think that that's something that I learned to do, which you definitely learned to do as a teacher, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You yeah. have to, you have to wing it a lot of the times yeah. and especially presenting and presenting to mm-hmm. large groups. I remember oh, being, yeah. like, because um, I, when I was uh, in the, in the school system, I was a consultant as well. So I would be presenting to um, like groups of teachers, groups of principals, sometimes school admin, like uh, admin and, and like different staff at the board level. So it was always, sometimes you were filling time and you were telling stories mm-hmm. as you go along, as, as you're waiting for something else to happen, right? So it's just yeah. uh, those natural kind of things that you have to do. <laughs> yeah, I wish I had gotten to see my dad uh, teach back when he was teaching. That was because uh, I, I heard all great things. I kind of had to figure it out for myself. I never got to see him do it. But uh, a lot of my brothers and sisters, they all had him as a teacher. So they got to see him see him do it. But uh, anyways, um, I wanted to, to get your take on the market, the way things are going, um, really kind of spinning it into finding your opening, finding your lane, um, how you take advantage of the situation here in Canada, knowing that the inflation 
number they're presenting to us is obviously understated. I mean, I think that that's, that's very apparent to most real estate investors. Give me your take. Uh, what, what's happening right now and, and what opportunities we should look at? And you can take as long as you want to get to the, to the final part I'll, of that. I'll give you a quick one here. Yeah. What, what do you believe the inflation rate is? Uh, I would say it's 20% or more. Okay. So let's say 20%. What is the interest rate that we have for borrowing? Uh, yeah, we're what three and a half ish. Four. Okay. So if our inflation rate is twenty percent and our yeah. interest rate is three and a half percent, doesn't it make sense to borrow funds? Yeah, you're at getting three and a half percent. I agree completely. More so on an interest only basis, but I this is where I'm at with you. Like, I see, I see the scalability. It's never been more important to own assets. It's never yeah. been more important because because you can still borrow that money, you can still leverage the heck out of your real estate, and if the cash flow works today, I mean, I don't like to speculate on it, appreciation, but it's pretty darn likely. Because yeah, it, these dollars all got to find a home. These dollars all got to go somewhere. Listen, we printed forty percent of the money supply in two years. It's not going to disappear overnight. Like that, that's also got to come back into the um, yeah. into the, the into the system. And we are, despite what everybody says, we are wealthier than we have ever been in Canada. As Canadians, we have been wealthier than ever before. We have much higher net worth. We have a higher savings rate than we've ever had before. It went down a little bit, but we we still have a very high savings mm-hmm. rate. So we're in a very good position, especially if you're an asset owner. Mm-hmm. I think what we're probably not doing as well is perhaps looking at the return on equity that we are getting in our assets and making sure that we can, uh, what what I learned um, a few years ago was that um, with a comparative model of being able to come up with uh, values and then the debt coverage ratio based on those models, the one to four unit properties have a, um, like a, a cap, a problem, right? Mm-hmm. Because what ends up happening is you can only leverage it so much before you can't leverage it uh, well anymore. Um, whereas with, uh, based on net operating income, you're, and of course, you still have your debt coverage ratio, but that yeah. net operating income, I can continue to push up and continue to pull funds. Yeah. Whereas I can't do that with uh, um, the comparative model. If the house is worth more, like, let's say it's like I have a duplex, it's worth 1.4 million, but the, the loan that I'm going to get is still 500,000. Well, you know, great. So now I have to put a second on there. I'll have to figure out different ways to, yeah. to access the equity, as opposed to having something in um, like an apartment building where it's based on NOI. And I can, yeah. as long as the, that coverage ratio makes sense. And and also I can switch between conventional and CMHC depending on what I need to do in order to pull out the funds, right? So mm-hmm. I may start off with a conventional and then flip to CMHC. It just depends on on what my business plan, the business plan is for that particular asset. Yeah. And, and, and Quentin, to your point, and I'm going to recap some of this because not everybody will be following that, but... Um, I think that a lot of these duplexes and you know up to quadplexes are actually quite overpriced right now compared to their their you know cap rate assessed value I would think. If you were to go at them with a with a 3 cap or a 4 cap, you probably wouldn't find that they're worth as much as the market is trading at right now. But that doesn't mean that will happen forever. That's sort of just a, you know, this is what's happening. Um but I think the you know the biggest thing that you get when you do what you're talking about going to those bigger buildings, you're moving over to commercial lending entirely. You're completely separated from your individual, you know, uh, income generation where they're going to look at you as the borrower. So that's a big benefit there. Um, another way to do that though, with those, um, duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes is, is to, um, 
package them with other yeah. properties, right? And then you can you can still get commercial lending. So there are some ways around it, but I totally get what you're saying. And, and I don't disagree. And in your, you know, you're right. When you can go and reference the CMHC rate for a for a city and you know how many units you've got and you know, you know what you're renting on average, you can very accurately assess what the market should think that's worth. Like it, it makes it a lot more straightforward, right? Yeah, and, and to your point, yes, I've done blankets too. I have a blanket across four properties. And that what I did was a blanket second mortgage as a, a line of credit that allowed mm-hmm. me to free up and access quite a bit of uh, mm-hmm. equity, but it never can catch up. Like you'll never be able, like you put that line of credit in and at the time it may have put, put you up to 70% LTV, but a year later, it could be down to yeah. like a 50% LTV and, and yeah. getting it back up again, they've qualified you based on the, they, although it may be a commercial product, mm-hmm. they're still qualifying you based on debt coverage ratio and oh, yeah, usually absolutely. on those four assets. So yeah. that, and that, that, that again is going to be the, the problem, right? And uh, yeah, you're, you're never really out? getting to 75% anymore with your first, are you? I mean, is it still happening or what, and, is your debt coverage ratio restricting you? Like you, you want, like say the bank is technically willing to go to 75% loan to value. I shouldn't say never, but it's a lot harder. If you're going in and trying to buy something off the market to try and get 75% loan to value with an institution, uh, with a bank, when, you know, incomes are way down, they're not, it's not going to work. If right? you're, you're talking one to four unit, uh, yes, you're probably yeah. getting 75, but we just did um, um, a building la- uh, the end of March, 85% LTV, mm-hmm. right? With a CMHC product. On the purchase so, or on the refi? On the purchase. So okay. it's it, it, like, so it just depends on like the that coverage ratio of the asset. And I believe we also had a 40 year AM on that as well. Um, so it just depends on the, uh, on the type of asset that mm. you're, that you yeah. have. And Could you tell me about that asset? Like, give me a, a little bit of explanation on it. 17 units, newer roof, mm-hmm. um, you know, good, uh, in, uh, Belleville, um, okay. you know, uh, just a good overall asset, well-kept asset, you know, needs, um, to bump up the rents. Really it's the rents that we're, we're we're keeping down yeah. the, the value business plan on that is um, refinance in three to five years. I believe we'll be able to do it in three years, but I always mm-hmm. underestimate, like I always try to be conservative and I'll, I'll say to three to five years and sometimes it'll take less. Yeah. The longest it's ever taking is four. We'll refinance that property and, and yeah. um, pay back the investors continue to own it. But okay. uh, what else do you want to know about the asset? Well, I mean, I, just how you're getting, your leverage up there because when I'm crunching numbers on deals, I'm consistently seeing the challenge where yes, the property is trading. You can see that these properties trade. The bank says technically we're willing to go to 75%, but the problem is your debt coverage ratio. Uh, no, the problem is, going is to... your purchase price. Problem is the yeah, problem ratio. is your purchase price. But in your scenario, when you did it with CMHC, being able to amortize 40 years and get your rate down helps you uh, hit that debt coverage ratio requirement. Yes, it did. But the property had to qualify based on the criteria for uh, with CMHC. Right. Right. Exactly. And also, we've been working with First, Na- First National a lot. We've got a lot of great um, um, experience with them. We've done a number of assets with them. Um, you know, we were able to get away with not having mm-hmm. our our partners um, put personal guarantees on their um, their their percentage ownership because that, yeah. and that's un not usual with CMHC products, right? So 
it just depends on on yeah. on the asset and and how you do it. But it's also yeah, it's purchase price, and you're right, it's debt coverage ratio. And I, I like it's why I do what I do. <laughs> That's because I, I I'm not buying on the MLS. I'm, I typically right, yeah. don't buy. Right. I don't think yeah. I've ever bought on the MLS and apartment building. So okay. like um, it's it's very much about my last book, which is. <laughs> Finding properties toolbox, right? It's a, it's about those relationships with with mm-hmm. brokers in particular and developing them over time, but also finding other avenues to be able to to uh, acquire uh, assets and make sure that you're yeah. you know it makes sense from a debt coverage ratio perspective. The problem isn't yeah. debt coverage ratio. The problem is purchase price. <laughs> No, I don't, I don't disagree. And this is the, the problem where a lot of people listen to this and be like, but everything on the market is, and obviously your answer is, yeah, don't buy the market. market. <laughs> so give me the explanation though. Like what was the motivation of that seller? Uh, and what did you get it at? Like price wise and cap rate wise? Uh, I have to, I'll have to look at it, but it would be at a, a four cap. Four right? cap. Yeah. Okay. So four cap done with CMHC on a 40 year AM, you, you were able to get 85%. So that's uh that's pretty awesome. Now, of course, the interest rates have gone up a little bit of late. That might that might rejig those numbers a bit. Yeah, it was it was actually a little bit of a pain in the butt. Um, I think that was that one was okay. It was because we have we had a little bit of extra funds set aside for cash for keys. So I'll, we'll have to. I'll have to bring a little bit of funds to the table in order to do cash for keys, but cause I don't want to yeah. go back and ask anybody for funds. That's not what I've, I've never done that. I've never, yeah. never done a cash call. I'd rather put in funds than, yeah. than do a cash call. It's usually we've planned out like when we turn over stuff. Um, um, and, and sometimes it depends on, you know, if we've taken a second mortgage, but I, I tend to mm-hmm. have a, have a good plan for how, what that looks like. But um yeah, it's it's really. I think it's an um, you know the, there are lots of opportunities out there, um, but you have to f- pick and choose the ones that make sense to you, and you have to know your numbers to be able to run them, and then and make a decision. and And you're right, there are other places you can go to be able to find opportunities. You could go to a lot of people are going to Edmonton um, or or Alberta. Some people have gone to the East Coast. A lot of people yep. have gone down to the states. So you know what, what, whatever you choose, you just but it. it you still have to be able to have a business plan that makes sense, carry yep. out that business plan and, um, and then, you know, um, ensure that uh, what you, cause basically you're, you're betting on the person to be able to carry out the business yeah, plan the over three to five years and somebody who's done it versus somebody who's going to Alberta for the first time is very different. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, and that's something that, a lot of people don't consider um, unless they've done work with them before. So like if, if I was to go in and talk to people about a project in Alberta, because I've worked with them before on other projects, they might come along with me to the, the yeah. project in Alberta. Absolutely. But, but it's very hard to, I would think to, to push that to somebody where you've never had the experience in that market. Right. So there's some challenges to that as well. Yeah, 100%. There would definitely be challenges. I, th- I think, like you said, it, it, it comes down to track record. And no matter where geographically you're starting, you're going to have to build the same way, uh, build up your track record uh, to, to earn that trust, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot of opportunities out there. There are, but you have to, you have to make sure that you understand what you're getting into. I think sometimes people 
want to be the active partner, but they don't realize the commitment that that requires. And mm-hmm. they would probably be better off being a, like a, a passive partner in a project versus an active partner yeah. because the return would be higher because, and they, they could do something that they're where, where they spend the, the, their time would give them a higher yield return. Yeah. You know, yeah. like I often have partners that are doctors and chiropractors and, and dentists and things like that, because that's where they should be spending their time, mm. right? Because that's the exactly. highest and best use of their time. And they, like they can earn funds that they can yeah. put into other projects and get the, the, the returns that will help them, right? And they're yeah. often the people that I'm looking for because they are looking for net worth generation. Yeah. You don't need to eat based on the funds that they're investing. Right. If you if you talk to me and you tell me you're taking your money from a line of credit, I'm going to freak out. I'm going to be like, no, nah, I don't want you. Like, there's no yeah. like, no way. Because that type of person doesn't fit the profile of the, 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 the person that I'm usually investing with. And it's also, you have to be careful because then that type of person is always going to be talking to you about yeah. like, hey, like, when are, like, what's happening? I need to have like some like funds to be yeah. able to pay back. But, and that's not what I... Uh, no, I no. Focus on so, like when we acquire in a building, it usually takes about 18 months to be able to stabilize the asset. Yeah. Sometimes sooner, but mm-hmm. usually about 18 months to stabilize the asset. I'm not giving out cash flow in the 18 months because yeah. it doesn't make sense. Right. We're, and sometimes longer, depending on yeah. the, the like, what I have to do in that particular building. You know, um, it may be three years, but then when you get all your funds back, it's it's huge. Right. Mm-hmm. So it just depends on on what the uh, business plan is and what you're what you're working through. And that makes a lot of sense. Now, I have a question for you because you're doing so much. You're writing all these books. I mean, you've got more than enough that you're doing that you shouldn't have had time to write those books unless you were doing something right. So tell me about how you are finding the time to be writing books when you're doing all these deals and, and part of all these joint ventures. It's a book. <laughs> the action so, takers. Real estate investing planner. So I yeah. plan, I, I plan everything, right? Like I have, um, I've been doing uh, 10 year goals for a long time. And then I have quarterly plans and my quarterly plan is on my wall to the, to the right here. And mm-hmm. then I have a, a weekly plan that's right here and I plan out my week. And then to right beside my desk is what I, my, my, uh, my, well, I call it something else, but it's a list of items that I have to get done, uh, you know, today. Right. Yeah. And so uh, I, I want to make sure that those things happen. It's all part of a, mm-hmm. a, a program. I, I used to do a lot of uh, coaching um, and uh, I don't do coaching the same way as I did before, but I do have a coaching program, but I have one of my, students who's been very successful who helped me to to in the week to week for that coaching program Mm -hmm. and they use the same system so it's all about like you know being able to um first visualize what you're going to do 10 years from now so on my screensaver i actually have my my vision board um it sits in the background so it's kind of like um so i can see what I'm, i'm focused on yeah and then um i also have uh goals in different areas of my life uh, in my 10 year plan. And then um, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm using my quarterly plan to connect to my 10 year goals. And yeah. then I use my weekly plan to connect to my quarterly plan. So everything is interconnected. And then I have an accountability partner. So once a week, I, I talk to them, 
tell them what I'm working on. I always have three big items that I'm working on, three priorities uh, that I'm working on each week. And, um, and they're telling me what priorities they're working on. And then uh, it helps us both to, um, to get things done easier because um, you don't want to go back to the same person and say that I'm working on this again, right? Because it's like, what do you mean you didn't do it? Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, you, you, you make you make yourself so I'm, I'm very, uh, I'm yeah. a very goal, goal area oriented person and a number oriented person. It's like we like, um, I think this year, our mortgage pay down is going to be over a million dollars on the portfolio. Right. Um, so that's that's huge. But like, that's me. It's a, a numbers goal. So I wanted to get to the point yeah. where we have a million dollars in mortgage pay down annually. And at, um, after that June acquisition, we'll at, we'll be at a million dollars a year in, in mortgage pay down. That's so it's super pretty, cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like that, that is super yeah. cool. Right. And, yeah. But that's me. I'm goal oriented, number oriented yeah. person. And I try to to help people to do the yeah. same sort of thing. Definitely systematic too. Uh, yes. I can tell. Okay. So where oh, do people, oh. but, but one other thing, it's yeah. about having the people that help you to, to, to achieve the goals that you're doing. Yeah. Right. So I have Paul who helps me with the coaching program. I have Andrew that helps me with a, a mastermind. I have my EA that helps me with keeping my myself organized and all the day-to-day stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. So she's awesome. I have uh, property managers. I have, yeah. Um, my own team, I have subcontractors. So I have lots of different people that, that help me. And it, it's, that's the other piece. If mm-hmm. I were to do everything myself, it would not never get done. <laughs> yeah. No, I hear you. That's the way I feel. So um, yeah, that's great. It, it, it does come down to a team. And of course, systems and goals are, are a big part of it. So uh, if, if people want to learn more about you or reach out to you, I mean, I'm, I'm not, you don't have to have them reach direct, but whatever you prefer, um, where should we send them? Um, you can go to Quinton at getrealwealthy.com. And um, if you don't mind, if they, if they like what they heard today, maybe they can listen to that uh, podcast at, as well, getrealwealthy.com. Yeah. Um, and then I'll give you my link tree to put in there and people can, okay. they want to reach out to me and, and set a, a time to, to talk. If you think that something might resonate with them, they're happy to do that. Okay. Um, or if they're interested in, coaching or whatever, I can connect them with somebody that can help. Okay. Um, yeah. So I'll get you to send over all those links and a headshot uh, for yourself. Something I, I think can I use. did already. Did you? Oh, you're okay. Then you're good. So, so just Woo. the links then. <laughs> um, yeah. It'll be in the folder then um, my systems. <laughs> um, all right. So thanks Quentin. I, uh, I really appreciate this. Um, any parting words of, of advice for people? I know you've already given so much, but just before we wrap up, yeah, I think um, the the problem that ends up happening is that you're listening to a podcast like this or you're reading and you don't move to action quick enough and you need to move to action. The only way to do this is to actually invest in real estate. Mm-hmm. So I would encourage you to move to action as quickly as possible get out of analysis paralysis, get out of information yeah. collection mode and move into action yeah. mode. And that, that is the key to success in real estate. It's investing in it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay. That's perfect though. No more, no more to say then after that one. So this was a great episode. I'm sure people have got uh, a lot out of it and uh, it was great catching up with you. Awesome. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. And congratulations. Holy on the cow. Baby? Yeah. On the baby. I know. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Life has changed. I'll tell you that it's given me a lot of perspective.
Are you, are you sleeping all the way through the night or? We are not. Uh, but last night it was just, he was up once. So, you know, last couple of nights, just up once uh, around three or 4am, which I think that's a pretty big win compared to what we have done. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I remember my boys now are like 17 and 14. So it's been a long time, but those yeah. first couple of years, oh man. <laughs> a lot of work, man. <laughs> it is. But uh, yeah, he's great. Love him. Awesome. So, anyways, appreciate it. We'll talk soon. All right. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Please make sure to share this episode far and wide. Help it help more people. I really appreciate you tuning in. I'll see you on the next one.